Yo, this weirdo really starting a podcast? Yeah, girl, he been like that since birth. Always gotta do everything in the weirdo way. The weirdo way. The weirdo way. The weirdo way. Welcome, weirdo. To the Weirdo Way podcast. I am your host, Weirdo Way. Before we go any further, do me a favor like, rate, review, five stars, five stars, five stars. Because if you're going to do anything in this life, you might as well do it to the best of your abilities. And I know it's been a while, but I'm going to go ahead and work on these voice exercises while you do that. Because update on my braces journey. Right now, I'm doing it through the wire and through the bands. I got the rubber bands on now. (laughs) So if I sound funny, if I'm slurring or whatever, you might even hear some clicking. (laughs) That's what that is. So go ahead and do that. And here I go. How much wood would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? He would chuck, he would, as much as he could, and chuck as much wood as a woodchuck would if a woodchuck could chuck wood. Oh, I kind of snapped on that. I kind of killed that. (laughs) Too easy, too easy. And then I also want to just say thank you. The feedback I've been getting on the podcast has been incredible. People really listening and enjoying this little startup podcast. And we're going to get bigger, man. I got to stop being so modest. And I owe you guys some consistency. Um, I'm starting to get into a routine now, so no promises, though, because until somebody starts paying for me, I like doing this whenever I feel like it. <laughs> but I love that you guys love it because there's a lot of podcasts out there, right? Like a lot of podcasts. In fact, I think there's a podcast for every fake ass half hearted celebrity apology after they get caught doing something bad <laughs> and that's word to the baby that was fucked up and uh i think we gotta do a whole episode on homophobia in the black male community and black male space of homophobia but uh that's not today but we'll stick a pin in that and also the the idea behind council culture you know do people really even get canceled and how I think people need to understand the difference between counseling someone and holding them accountable. People try to poke holes in cancel culture. By and large, what they're doing is saying, I don't want to be held accountable in case it's me next. And we all can identify with that fear because we're all humans and thus are subject to fall short um, in different respects. I was going to say of the glory of God. <laughs> And I got caught in the air. I'm like, wait a second. That's not me anymore. But yeah, we all fall short in different aspects of our lives. And because of that, cancel culture really scares us, especially the more bigger, famous, powerful you are, especially if you are a part of what the um, traditional power structure of uh, society has been. You po- you want to poke holes in the idea of cancel culture because you're like, I don't want to be held accountable if I make a mistake. But we need to understand that accountability is love and accountability is a part of council culture. And if you do things, they have consequences. You understand what I'm saying? And council, council culture is just kind of a proxy for all of that. And the flip side to what I'm saying here is that you should have the space to say your wrong idea in public, to get your bad opinion out there is not against the law. So like the the idea that we're going to cultivate a space where no bad opinions can be expressed, that is no. That's not that's not what what you want as a society. Hey, being wrong, I, I joke with my friends often uh that they have a right to their wrong opinion. 
you know, I'm not going to necessarily counsel you because of your wrong opinion. However, your right to a wrong opinion does not shield you from consequences of said opinion, especially, you know, like being anti pineapples on pizza is 1000% the wrong opinion, right? <laughs> but um, it's not dangerous in any way. It doesn't, you know what I'm saying? It's not... Um, uh, 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 it doesn't, it's not detrimental to another group or uh, another people's right to exist or well-being or inflame wrong, outdated and dangerous stereotypes about those people. You know what I'm saying? So by contrast, when the baby says things about HIV in the gay community or pokes fun about men who may be still in the closet because of fear of the repercussions or ramifications of what that may be coming out of the closet, uh, yeah, those things are absolutely wrong and they will have consequences and they should have consequences. Furthermore, it's interesting when you think about how segments of the right leaning part of society will make fun of or older generation actually will make fun of, you know, the ideas around safe spaces. But at the same time, those are absolutely necessary for all sorts of reasons. Example, the barbershop. You can be loud, wrong in the barbershop and we all still going to dap you up. We're going to tell you, hey, you're wrong. It's a free exchange of ideas. Or to an extent, your friends and family group chat should be a safe space for you. That's why I'm really like anti when I see us passing judgments on like a leaked text message or something. That's that person's safe space, you know? We shouldn't be feeling comfortable enough to passing judgment on the comments and thoughts that they are workshopping or sharing in their safe space, right? When you get a platform like a concert with hundreds of thousands of people there and the Delta, <laughs> how fat Joe say it? The Delta's somewhere in there. God bless, but the Delta's in there. <laughs> uh, video had me rolling. But yeah, like when you have a concert venue like that, no, the baby can't get out there and yell his wrong opinion to all these people. His platform is too big at that point. And you can have people in your life who you view as safe spaces. I have so many people, friends, acquaintances that come to me with opinions that they'd be scared to share otherwise, whether it be around race or politics, sex or religion. Y'all know I'm a taboo topic talker. And I'm honored that they feel comfortable enough to share that opinion with me and we could talk it out and then by the end of that opinion they can by the end of that talk they can walk away with a new aspect or a new way of thinking about what they maybe they don't change their mind but now they got food for thought you know what i'm saying and that's why the idea of like keeping your bad opinion like curating a society where you can't say things where you're afraid to express your opinion does more harm than good if you don't believe me like look around <laughs> And what good is having your opinion if he can't stand up? What good is having something, a conviction, if he can't stand up to the test of discussion or debate? You got to really think about that. But damn, what a tangent for that not to even be what this episode is even about. <laughs> I was just supposed to land a plane and say, thank you, thank you, thank you to you, listener. Round of applause to you. Um, the weirdo way today is going to be a little bit more unorthodox. Um, usually when I come to an episode, I have a thesis and then I have an outline of where I want to go, basically. And now I'll present it in a Rogerian style or Toolman style, <laughs> something like that. And, uh, today is not like that. Today I woke up and I had to call the audible because with the news coming out of Afghanistan, I've been feeling so oddly emotional. And that's going to be our topic today. Reflection on the war in Afghanistan or Afghanistan. <laughs> As so many of you know, I am a veteran of the Afghan war. 
I am a proud member of the U.S. Army, and none of the opinions I express today or views I express today are representative of them or of the organization. You know, they're all my own. Just speaking as a private citizen who has had his opinions informed by his actual experience in the country, um, which if you are able to go and fight and risk your life for freedom, you should be able to express it, right? So within reason, of course, you can even hear it in my speech pattern. I'm being very calculated of what I do say. I'm just want to be, I don't want to say anything that I don't mean. And of course, I never want to say anything I don't mean in front of this microphone. But of course, this is delicate because this is like very personal to me, you know, um, very intensely personal to me and my mental health. So I am being deliberate. You know what I'm saying? But I just want to take time today and think about and reflect on, you know, the legacy of the Afghan war and, and how we view war and the total price of it, total, the total sum of it. Right. And I want to do it very generally and as nonpartisan as I possibly can. <laughs> you guys know I, I uh, when I'm ready to be political, I'm not going to shy away from any of it. But this is not that. I don't want to do that with this. I just want us all to take a bird's eye view of the conflict. And yeah, every now and then I'll stray into specific people and things like that. But by and large, I want to keep this very general. And I know there's a certain responsibility that comes with this subject matter. And uh, I'm excited for the challenge. I think I can do that. I think I'm more than capable of handling it. We can do this. You ready? All right, let's get into it, man, on the Weirdo Way podcast. Lego. Yeah, man, you look into the Weirdo Way podcast, you know, my street out of Minnesota, you know what I mean? I say, number one, number one, number one, this. Me can't believe my eyes. Everything raw, explicit, up and running. Take what me say, me, I deliver it to your bum buckler. You understand me? <clears throat> okay, so for those of you all who are new to the Weirdo Way, you should know that generally I don't even, I don't like telling you how I feel. I like telling you how I think or what I think. I don't want to tell you how to think. I just want to ask if you would like to. But every now and then, sometimes the topic will come up that pulls on the very fabric of who I am so strongly, and I can't help but to blur those lines a little bit. And that's the case right now with the developing situation out of Afghanistan with the United States deciding that we're going to end a 20-year war. 20-year war, y'all. And of course, officially, you can't call it a war. It's an extended conflict. But if it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck, I'm not going to call it a fox. <laughs> Is that how the saying goes? <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, like 20 years, y'all. And I just want to start this off by saying like war is not normal. Like, I think that it's important to state that because a lot of times war gets romanticized, right? And understandably so because the things that it brings out of you when you can project them onto the big screen can arouse some feelings in you. But by and large, people who are war adjacent, people who have been in wars, when I say war adjacent, I mean, you know, a soldier's, sailor, airman, marines, mom, brother, uncle, cousin, etc., etc., niece, nephew. If you ever sent your son off to war and had him come back, 
without a leg. That's not fucking normal. Then you understand that like you you see the romanticization of war a little differently. Whereas in America, I think that we because it doesn't happen on our shores a lot of times, we can tend to lose sight of the fact that again, war is not normal. I need to state that. And they're like, I know people are like, but that's your business. Aren't you in the business of that? And it's like, yeah, I understand that it is a necessary, it's unavoidable at times. Conflict can be unavoidable at times, but I don't cast any aspersions. I believe that war is a, a failure of society, right? Like think about what we're talking about here. We have two people who, two groups, two factions, two organizations, whatever the case may be, who fundamentally disagree with each other. And because they feel like they've exhausted civil, all civil diplomatic tools at their disposal, or perhaps one of those sides has crossed a line and there's just no coming back from that. Or the afflicted party feels there's just no coming back from that. They can't see another way. Oftentimes, the response to that can be an extreme overreaction amplified by the short-sightedness of it all. Which, not for nothing, a lot of intelligence experts will say is directly applicable to this extended conflict going on to Afghanistan right now. <laughs> Sometimes it could be just as simple as, I gotta get my lick back. <laughs> or for my uh, less cultured brethren, I have to... Uh, get revenge, right? Or like Brian Man say, uh, I will pay my debt. <laughs> the only thing left they feel like is I need to kill you to get my point across. Or I need to kill you because I disagree with you. That's a that's a failure of society, in my opinion. We should be able to communicate with each other without coming to that, without resorting to that. And I'm not some fucking um, hippie. No, of course not. Again, like I said, I uh, am in the business of war or peacekeeping, depending on, <laughs> depending on who you ask, right? But I understand that war sometimes is unavoidable, but I still look at it as a failure that we're just trying to make the best out of. So to say that your nation has been at war for 20 years, it's, it's, it's heavy and it's especially heavy, I think, when you've been there. For those of you who don't know, I was deployed to Afghanistan about a decade ago. <laughs> God, time flies, man. And there's no single event or time of my life that was more consequential to my belief system, my thoughts on the world, my thoughts on America standing in the world, my thoughts on religion, my thoughts on capitalism, etc., etc. My thoughts on myself and growth from it as my time in Afghanistan. The men I served with, who I'll love forever, the experiences I had, the mistakes I made, oh my gosh, and the lessons I learned. So as you can imagine, hearing the news out of that nation has made me so pensive. That is to say, reflective, thoughtful, uh, in my feelings, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and a lot of people are probably like, well, that's your default. You're always thinking about something. You're always reflecting about something. Yeah, but this is, this is different. This is different. 20 years. $2.5 trillion. With interest, it'll probably be $6.5 trillion by 2050. And if I'm being honest, I feel like that number is on the low side. 2,450 U.S. military members gone too soon. So many Afghan civilians gone too soon. I believe the Associated Press puts the number at about 47,245. Damn. 47,245. Afghan civilian. Civilians, for those of you who don't know, means like non-combatant. Like you just live in your life. You just live there. You're just men, women, and children who, who are not armed or engaged in fighting. I encourage you all, when you get a chance to go read the numbers on the Associated Press for, I think Brown University has a project called The Cost of War. And it just gives you the raw numbers. Again, Cost of War Project. Really, really, you should go take a look. Every American should go take a look. <clears throat> 
The numbers are devastating. The numbers are devastating. But also devastating is the American public's sudden awakening to it. And let me frame it a little differently. I mean, six presidential regimes, both Democrats, Republicans, passing the buck back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes the hard right is messy. And me and the president, POTUS are going to disagree about a lot of things, trust me. (laughs) But I think one thing we could all agree about is that we couldn't have been there forever. And it had to start at some point. And again, six presidential regimes, somebody had to do the hard right thing and get us out. But what's even more telling is that when President Trump was in office and he was negotiating with the Taliban deals to exit out of Afghanistan, the American public was silent. When POTUS announced back in April that he was pulling out the troops by September 11th, the American public was silent. For the duration of the 20-year war, the American public has been silent until about yesterday. Or, you know, when the video when, when the video comes out, all of a sudden, everyone cares about, an Af- about Afghanistan and everyone cares about the war. And it's like, damn, where the fuck have y'all been? So Afghans had to literally fall from a plane out of the sky for you guys to pay attention. That's what it takes for you to be engaged citizens. I'm seeing this chart float around, you know, assigning blame, like who deserves what amount of blame. And it's like Biden and it's Obama and it's and it's Trump. Um, And conspicuously absent from this chart is the American people. And the sentiment is shared by this great article from Tom Nichols of The Atlantic called Afghanistan is your fault. To start the article, he says, Kabul has fallen. Americans will now exercise their usual partisan outrage for a few weeks. And then Afghanistan, like everything else in the nation, with an attention span not much longer than a fast food commercial, will be forgotten. In the meantime, American citizens will separate into their usual camps and identify all the obvious causes and culprits, except for one, themselves. End quote. And like clockwork, if you have a social media feed, you've seen it. Everybody is rushing to point fingers at like, this president's fault. Oh, it's President Trump's fault. It's President Biden's fault. It's President Bush's fault. Everyone except for you. Because while you yogurt and brunched and clubbed and landscaped, <laughs> all the things that you were doing that you got to enjoy in the comfort of your American soil, American troops is overseas fighting for 20 years and you never once wrote an email to a congressman saying what you think the best solution is you never once asked a representative what their stance was on it how they would vote right hell let's be honest most of us were able to forget that there was a war going on most of us couldn't point to afghanistan on a globe If we are being real and the congressman point I make about us not being active citizens in our country, you guys know I'll come to that a lot, right? Because a lot of us just want to exist. We don't want to be active participants in our society. We want to be just floating in and out of it, complaining, but not actually engaging. But the Congress point is not small because a lot of people will give Congress a pass and say Congress never authorized military action in Afghanistan. And I will push back on that. I say every time you authorize a defense budget to go up or down, you are authorizing the war. What do you think that money is going towards? So yes, as American citizens, it's just so crazy how we just follow whatever. We're so fad driven. We are all moved by this horrific clip out of Kabul where the U.S. Air Force is jet is trying to get off and you can see Afghans clinging to it for dear life and falling to their deaths. And that's tragic and that's moving. But that's the first time you thought about that country. That's the first insight you had into it. All of a sudden now you you feel like you have the moral high ground to assign blame to other people, not yourself. 
Come on, be real with yourself. You got to look at yourself first. Nichols in his article makes this, he, 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 he says a familiar trope to troops if you know, you know. <laughs> he says, uh, the soldiers who served overseas in those first years of major operations soon felt forgotten. America's not at war was a common refrain among the troops. We're at war. America's at the mall. That's real as fuck. And not even so much that you should feel guilty for living your life. Like, that is what we do. We, that is what soldiers are supposed to do. We're supposed to go over there and do our thing so that we at a, at home can enjoy these freedoms and things that we take for granted and the things that give us um, our patriotic hard-ons, if you will. <laughs> but that you were just never engaged and now want to play armchair quarterback while vets who were there are feeling all these strong emotions and flashbacks. And, and it's a very sensitive time like i think one thing you'll know anybody who's ever been to afghanistan will tell you there's no easy answers (laughs) there's no clean simple solutions there are bad ones and then there are slightly less bad by degrees ones right i don't want to armchair quarterback the evacuation but i absolutely think that any leader would say hey the optics of that are not great i wish that we could have done better looking back at it now but we have to leave i disagree but POTUS about a lot of things, my commander in chief, but respectfully, of course. But he's right when he says one year, five years, 10 years wouldn't have made a difference. One more month wouldn't have made a difference. We got to go. Intelligent analysts would, would say that, yeah, we kind of knew what the, what the game was, but we have to leave. It's unfortunate because you think about like the feminist in me, like I really do hurt for like the girls who were educated under us under the course of that 20 years that who knows what's going to happen to them now. The women who were put in positions of power that were never seen in Afghanistan before, who knows what's going to happen to them now. The journalist, the female journalist, who knows what happens to them now. When I think about the good we did, that's the first thing that comes to mind. 37% literacy rate amongst girls who can go to school. That's not nothing. That's major. And the Taliban says they changed, but I'm not in the business of believing shit the Taliban tells me. So I genuinely hurt for those women and those girls. But we have to go. And hopefully we can take as many of them as we can, as many allies as we can. And Lord knows my heart hurt for the interpreters who literally were on missions with us, you know, who was literally in the trenches with us, who status is up in limbo now. How do we justify leaving them there? We can't. We can't leave them there, man. It's my hope that every Afghan ally who wants to get out comes out and resettles here with us because they are Americans now. They have served America in ways that most Americans can never. Which brings me to Marjorie Green Taylor and hateful racist pundits on, you know what? Not yet. Not yet. And of course, it's sad to see the factions of the Afghan army and AMP that gave up their arms or just made deals and and let the Taliban come without taking without taking a fight to them. That's sad to see. But there are some there's some badass Afghan units who fought tooth and nail who would have never wanted to give up willingly. Who fought the Taliban valiantly. And I just don't want them all to get lumped in together. Like those small specialized commando units are not the same as the rake and file Afghan National Army. And you can tell people who know what the fuck they're talking about because they would never lump those people together. Um, and then you also have like the government. <laughs> I mean, you have those Afghan army units who understandably was like, I'm not getting supported. Food, ammo, I'm hungry. I ain't got no no ammo. I'm what am I doing here? So before you try to shit on the ANA, the Afghan National Army or the Afghan National Police, you gotta empathize. You gotta put yourself in those shoes. Can you imagine being a soldier fighting the Taliban and not getting ammo, not getting dinner, not getting lunch? 
having your pay stolen from you or delayed, come on. Then the Taliban comes to you is like, look, you guys are probably going to die. How about we give you X, Y, and Z and you just lay down your arms and we'll forget this ever happened. What the fuck are you going to do if you're an Afghan troop? You're not getting no support from higher, from leadership. You gonna you want to live to see another day if you're an Afghan. So you have like, the, I think the what is this? I think it was the governor of uh, Kandahar who pulled the who pulled the Ted Cruz. And once he heard the gunshots, he was out. He fled the he fled his 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 state his his territory. You know, like like Ted Cruz when the when the Texas grid went out, he flew to Cancun. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> um, and I say that respectfully. You know, no no disrespect to. To Senator Ted Cruz, but I think mean, that's just the facts of what happened. Um, <laughs> and forgive me, like I said, I don't have a, a central thesis. I don't have an outline. I'm just venting. And it's crazy because I've been feeling all sorts of emotions that I don't want to delve into on the podcast here. Is <laughs> while like the soldier in you, when you hear of the equipment left behind or given up um, that is now in control of your enemy, the soldier, you'd be like, let me, I want my shit back. Let's go get our shit back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That that's the the warrior spirit in you. They don't deserve that shit. Our taxpayers pay for that shit. And I'm not an idiot. I understand that um the calculated decision was made that that equipment and stuff was probably sunk cost. You know, it would have cost way more to bring it over here than it would have to leave it there. But they don't deserve that shit. Um, and it still bothers you to see. But I will say for any vets who may be listening. I need you to talk it out because I know when I was feeling where I was feeling, it was so important for me to have battles reach out to me. That made me feel like, okay, at least I'm not alone here, right? At least I'm not crazy for feeling what I'm feeling, right? And I think as we mature the army, we understand that like that shit is the most important. You can train the fuck out of your body. If your mind is not there, then what the fuck are you even doing? Military or civilian. And that's one thing I hope we think about going forward. When we think about the cost, the total cost of war, right? Like the cost of a bullet, the cost of a drone strike, the cost of a missile, all those things are, you know, of course, when we vote to for a defense budget, like that's Given that's what we're paying for, we're paying for to be the biggest and the baddest. You know, I have some thoughts about that that I'm not going to delve into right now. But what we're paying for is to be the biggest and the baddest. I think Sean King is the one who said that a budget is a moral document, and I believe that wholeheartedly. Your budget says a lot about where your priorities lie as a society. So if your defense budget is huge and your education budget is tiny, mm, it says a lot about your morality, right? If your state's budget is all in policing, yeah, and you have nothing for mental health services, we'll talk about child care or um, after school programs or or job training or low income housing. Right. Mm, you really hustling backwards. Right. Like it's giving I care more about jailing and punishing my citizens than I do about building them up and helping them thrive. That's what the budget is giving. Some in that sense might say we should defund that sort of budget <laughs> wrong episode wrong episode <laughs> but for real what do you think is the logical outcome of a budget like that but 
<laughs> to get back on the main topic for today, um, when we vote to authorize a defense budget, how much of that money is going towards, you know, soldiers mental health? Like you can pay for a soldier's boots and uniforms, but are you paying for their therapy sessions when they come back home? How accessible is that therapy for them when they get back here? Because again, war is not normal. And as a result, you will pick up certain traumas, certain PTSDs, and it manifests itself in the strangest ways. I'm telling y'all, like you come, like you're doing zero fives and 25s, <laughs> you know, or you can't pass an abandoned car on the side of the highway without thinking if it's going to explode or thinking, oh, that's a possible uh, threat. That's, that's not normal. And that's on the less severe side, you know, shit that it runs the whole gamut, but those are just some examples, you know? And of course, one of my favorite books, uh, that is taking me forever to get through because <laughs> every time I read it, it just kind of is too heavy, but it's called The Body Keeps the Score. And they touch on the same idea. Like, even if you don't want to consciously, like your body remembers certain shit and how accessible is it for that soldier to go to counseling for these things? Or are we just prescribing pills to deal with the pain, to deal with the nightmares, to deal with the hallucinations of these soldiers who are affected by this stuff because it is economically expedient. <laughs> cheaper. I don't know why I wanted to say it that way, but cheaper. Giving big farmers some funds for their pills is cheaper than paying for therapy on a regular basis until they are in a better space. Things that we as Americans need to think about before we authorize war. And I guess Truth be told, what war looked like is going to be changing with the advances in technology and drones. One of the biggest critiques I have of President Obama was the use of so many drone strikes and how that changes what it means. It changes the humanity of a war, respectfully, of course. But until it is completely changed, for better or for worse, when a soldier goes over there and sees something he can't unsee or, or something she can't shake, what are the resources that we have here? And are they easily accessible? Are they a lot of red tape and bureaucracy? You know, are they humane? Those, that's, those are the hidden costs of war. Not to mention the collateral damage to the Afghans whose country we are occupying for 20 years. Yes, the mission when we went there wasn't nation building. Of course not. We were supposed to just get our lick back. <laughs> our pound of flesh. But what duty do you owe it to them when you're dropping bombs, you know, and kids, you know, and you're, you're, you're riding around on tanks? Like, what duty do you then owe to them once you use the civilian land to go get your enemy? Which is, again, we cannot lose sight of the fact that the Taliban are the bad guys here. We were at war with the Taliban, not the Afghan people. But the Afghan people who stay are the ones who are going to have to live with their land being fundamentally changed forever from our airstrikes and hospitals that were knocked down. And, you know, collateral damage, as tough as that is even to say. So you kind of do owe them something in the way of nation building. That's another cost. If I would argue that if you don't want to pay the cost of building up a nation, then you shouldn't authorize going into the nation in the first place. Right. And when you think about the cost of war, it's also like the opportunity lost, right? Like David Rothkopf. I hope I'm saying his name right, but forgive me. 
Um, he makes a great point. He was on the Dan Lebertar show of all places, which if you want to know why I never want to just be bogged down in one topic, right? Like, yes, I will talk about WNBA on one episode, but I want to talk about the Afghan war on another episode. And I want to talk about Minnesota food on another episode. And I want to talk about women's rights on the next episode and echo chamber, blase, blase, blase. Yes, we got the Dan Lebertar show. <laughs> Since they left ESPN, they can do whatever they want. And they talk about whatever they want. And the show is so much better for it. But they have David Roth cop fun. And he talks about over that 20 years, you think about that money, all that money, all that money that we spent at war. And you juxtapose it with China. So while we're fighting guerrilla warfare, which I mean, is just very difficult. It's like playing whack-a-mole. While we're in Afghanistan, building up their army to model ours in which they should be built up to model what they need. We're building up the AMP to model our police forces when we should be building them up to 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 model what they need, right? Which is probably more of a militia type force than a, a traditional U.S. police department type force. But he says you juxtapose that with China and what China's been able to do in the last 20 years. China, while we've been at war with Afghanistan, has become one of the world's superpowers. They've become one of the greatest economies in the world. We... He, you, you think about what we could have invested those trillions into, right? As people now bicker about the infrastructure deal being too high, too expensive, who's going to pay for it? <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about because like, that money could have been invested into schools. <laughs> if you want to try to make this more personal to you, every time you drive over a pothole, I want you to think of the Afghan war. <laughs> That's opportunity cost. You know what I'm saying? Every time a politician tells you we don't have money to upgrade the internet, right? Or train coal miners to do solar energy or code, that's opportunity cost. But ultimately, I want you to think about every time you hit the pothole, that's money that could have been going to fixing your road. <laughs> Try to go to Walmart and buy something not made in China. So yeah, I just think about I, again, I'm sorry. I'm venting. I'm going to, I'm going to cut it off here soon because I don't want to get in trouble. But <laughs> so like, as we sit here now, 20 years later, and we start to play the blame game, be fully informed before you decide to speak. Shit. I would take, be 50% informed, right? A lot of people have tried. Afghanistan is a complicated ass country, man. For instance, if we were to poll most Americans, random sample size, and ask them if they knew that the Americans funded the Mujahideen to fight Russia, and that Mujahideen then evolved to become the Taliban, do you think they would know that? I don't know for a fact. I'm just asking. What do you think? Matter of fact, the social media foreign policy experts that have popped up sharing every meme they see on the country, do you think they would know that? I don't know. I'm just asking. I don't know for a fact. But... And that's not me criticizing U.S. foreign policy. It's just me reading a history book. <laughs> Take a look. It's in a book. Shout out to um, LeVar Burton. I hope he gets to be the host of Jeopardy. He, he should be the host of Jeopardy. There's no way he cannot be the host of Jeopardy. He is the reason that I love books. He inspired a generation. There is weirdos. What do we need to do to petition Jeopardy? To right this wrong, they need to pick up to be the host of January. What should we do? Is it a petition we need to start? What is it, weirdos? Message me. Let me know. Because I'm on board with any ideas you got. <laughs> I have these NPR, Vice, 
Shit, Minnesota Reformer. Shout out Minnesota Reformer. If you guys are looking for great local journalism in Minnesota, Minnesota Reformer. Try to donate, read, subscribe, whatever you gotta do. Let's show them some support. After you listen to this podcast, they do a dope podcast, Minnesota Reformer. Um, this last episode is super interesting. It's about the PCA shortage in Minnesota, how essential they are to our society and our economy, but how undervalued and underpaid they ultimately are for the work that they do. I implore you, please go listen to that right after this podcast. But yeah, I have dreams of working for one of them type of organizations. I wonder if they're going to be like, yo, this guy digresses entirely too much from the main point. (laughs) Don't hold this against me. We can work through that together. I promise. But anyway, yeah, Afghanistan is a complicated, complex country. If you think there are clean or easy solutions, you have an opinion that literally no intelligence expert analyst would agree with. David uh, Rothkopf, he makes the point that like 3,000 years people have been trying to invade Afghanistan, right? Going back as far as Alexander the Great tried and failed to conquer this little nation bordering China. I would rather see those resources, our men, our women, our money brought back home and invested here because ultimately the most precious opportunity cost lost in a 20-year war is time and lives. It sucks if it makes you emotional to think of the birthdays missed the first steps, the first words, the first days of schools that went missed by soldiers. And who ultimately got to benefit the most from that? In this capitalist society, you look at who capitalistically benefited the most. It's the arms dealers who got to supply the U.S. government and the Taliban, right? And the stakeholders that voted to raise those defense budget bills. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it really wasn't the people on either side. Shit, I really kind of even feel for the Afghan army, at least when my battle brothers and sisters die or are maimed. We have a pretty good compensation system set up here to take care of their families. That's not the case over there. And again, that goes back to like, why would I want to fight in this army again? This Afghan National Army again? There's a lot about how I feel and about my personal experience in the country that I'm going to omit from the pod for sure. But I do think that having been there, most vets come away with feeling the same. We're not a monolith by any means. Lord knows every cross section of America that you could think of is represented right here in the United States Army. And to me, it's one of the greatest parts about it is that you meet people and become best friends and create lifelong relationships with people you would have never stopped to look at on the street. You know what I'm saying? You are forced to interact and then you learn things about yourself and them and you exchange ideas. And it's just a beautiful thing that is very unique to the U.S. Army. (laughs) I mean, I've done things that people only experience on Call of Duty, right? Like I've seen places that people only see on CNN. And trust me, this is not no uh recruitment pitch because everything is not for everybody. Trust me when I say. So no, we're not a monolith. And I only speak for me, not the army, not for anybody else. Just me when I say it's time to come home. And I don't think you would find a lot of vets that would be upset with me saying that, that would disagree with me saying that. But ultimately, no one has borne the brunt of heartache, heartbreak, the true total sum of the cost of war as much as the Afghan people. So after Kabul fell, an Afghan female journalist on the ground who was fearful of what would happen to her if she could not evacuate by the name of Rada Akbar gave a quote to the New York Times, quote, to the world is just a city that collapses. But to me, it's not just a city, R told us. There are thousands of souls that collapse. There are millions of dreams that collapse. Our history, our culture, our art, our beauty, our life collapses, end quote. 
<clears throat> for somebody who loves the city as much as you all know I love mine, that shit really hit home. How absolutely horrific that must feel for her. And as we all run around pointing fingers this way and that way, I just hope we can keep that in perspective. You're listening to the Weirdo Way Podcast. Weirdo, a person who is extraordinary, strange, or eccentric. All right, act two, the last one before the outro, but I had to debut a new segment. We're calling it Bad Weirdo Energy. <laughs> if you guys follow me on social media, shout out to all the new interactions, man. I was actually pleasantly surprised. You know, I don't like checking the stats often because, you know, it's still a startup, but I saw the stats for this week and I'm like, oh my. Okay, we might be on to something. <laughs> anyway, you follow me. You know, I love highlighting big weirdo, weirdo energy. You know, I think that the status quo, what is quote unquote normal, we need to change that. We need to normalize being weird, being yourself, being true to yourself, being extraordinary, being loud in your truth. Yeah. But there are people out here who give weirdo a bad connotation. And when I see them, I got to call them out because I want us to reframe what we think of as weird. But these people are holding us back from progress. They're giving bad weirdo energy. And because I do not believe these people to be irredeemable, I like to, I want to call them out so that they have a chance to understand that what they're doing is affecting the movement. <laughs> they are representing themselves poorly. And if they want to be a part of the weirdo movement, the weirdo way movement we got going on here, they need to change their ways. And as y'all know, energy is dynamic. It's, it's constantly changing up and down, right? Like frequency waves, you know, it's not set in stone. You don't have to be given bad weirdo energy. And this is the opportunity. Listen to this podcast <laughs> and then you have a chance to change your ways. Unfortunately, for our first ever bad weirdo energy giver that we're calling down to this carpet, I don't think there's much of a chance for that. But I'm hoping for the best, bracing for the worst. Marjorie Taylor Green, you are the first to be called out for giving bad weirdo energy. And I don't even know where to start. I mean, I, I have myself on a clock count here. I want to get this segment wrapped up quick today. I've had you guys here for a while, but there's so much I have to tell you guys about this human, but I want to be very specific today because she is guilty of the crime of coming for my city when we did not send for her. <laughs> and that is one of the highest offenses here at the Word Away. <laughs> Quick summary about her. She is a congresswoman out of the northwest of Georgia's 14th district. I would tell you about the cities in which she represents, except for you've never heard of them. You would have no reason to visit them. In fact, the fact that they elected her in the first place says you all need to know. Oh, stop being petty. All right, here we go. This particular congresswoman rose to prominence because of her, again, avid support for President, former President Trump. And uh, she's a big cure. She's a QAnoner, big QAnoner. And before she was in Congress, she used to go around terrorizing the, vic the parents of children who died due to gun violence in schools, which... But but that's not the bad weirdo energy that got on my radar today. Now, as you guys know from earlier in the episode, I think our Afghan allies who supported our mission were our interpreters, were our um, guides while we were there and aided in the youth, fought beside us and helped us in these missions, deserve American citizenship. They have done a great service to this country and thus deserve to be on American soil. Um, it is my opinion that they have earned their American stay to the extent that one can earn 
citizenship, earn their place in a society. I feel like they've earned their place in American society. Unfortunately, <laughs> Representative Marjorie seems to disagree. And I quote, I'm pretty upset with my own state governor, Brian Kemp, for openly saying he would welcome in Afghan refugees. I'm against that. I don't want another Minneapolis in Georgia, especially after we saw those refugees produce Representative Ilhan Omar. End quote. No, weirdo, she wasn't really crying, but I took creative liberty because that's what I heard when I was listening to her. <laughs> and the segment is called Bad Weirdo Energy. So I don't want to attack Ms. Green herself, of course, but the energy that she's given is what's being called out here today. She's giving, when she says, before that she says, you know, I just want to be really picky about who I let in here. But, and who can, who can't understand that? You know, we all want the best of the best to be Americans, right? But it's giving that America is some sort of social club, you know, that's like, that we should be making pledges, have, go jump through hoops and ro- roll down hills and jump through fire, uh, have these high strict bars for entry. But then it begs the question, my fellow good weirdo Americans, what exactly did you do to gain your access to this uh, fraternity or social club that we call America? What exactly did you do to earn it? Well, weirdo, I pay taxes. Oh, I mean, that came after, but what did you do to earn your right to call yourself an American? And, and I'm going to ask the naturalized citizens to hang back a bit. But the rest of us, what did we really do? Think about it. Your great feat, your great bar to overcome was that you just happened to be ejaculated on the right side of an imaginary line that we call America. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and your mother pushed you out on the right side of the imaginary line. What, what, what is that sort of bar of entry that makes you feel like in the case of MJT that you can be that hateful or talk down on someone who has done a great service to this nation and wants to come join, join our social club? That's bad weirdo en- energy, Marjorie. Think about it. All you did was you happened to be pushed out on the right side of an imaginary line. That's it. And what's wild is that the energy that MGT is given is like you have more in common. The energy you're given has more in common with the Taliban than the Afghan allies who want to come over here. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you guys may recall, Marjorie called for the public execution of elected U.S. officials, called for their murder. Now, that's something that the Taliban has also done in the past. Um, the energy she's given when she speaks about Ilhan is the same energy that the Taliban gives when they see a woman of Islamic faith in power. They have that in common. That's just a, that. Look, that's just an observation. Think about it. The Taliban hates to see women in positions of power that are Muslim. MGT feels the same way <laughs> when she calls out the great city of Minneapolis, that beautiful Bastion of diversity that is Minneapolis, saying she doesn't want one in Georgia. One, I, I'm going to guess that she doesn't get over to Atlanta very often. <laughs> but two, the energy she's given is, I don't like that level of diversity in my in my my demographics in my city. That's kind of the same mo of the Taliban. Like when they took over Kabul the first time, they persecuted minorities in the city. Bad weirdo energy is when you have that much in common with the Taliban. But now I don't think she's irredeemable. I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about the energy that she's given based on the things that she has done. And let that be a good litmus test for all of us, you know, the company you keep. 
Like, you don't want to have this much in common with the Taliban. Like, you want to be that hateful? That's the kind of energy you want to put out? Nah, that's the enemy. And always remember, for the majority of us, it is absolutely 100% understandable to take pride in your nation. Lord knows I do. To um, want people to want the best for your nation. Lord knows that's what we should all strive for. But to the point where you're being hateful and demeaning to those who want to join the best nation in the world, just because, again, all you have done to get membership to this is be pushed out by your wonderful mothers. But again, you didn't do anything. She did something on the right side of the imaginary line. That is the boundary of America. And that gives you the right to be out here talking about how picky you want to be. Newsflash, Marjorie, we didn't pick you. It was it was happenstance. And you got the audacity to be out here. I don't want just anybody in my nation. Well, you kind of are that just anybody. <laughs> have some self-awareness and empathy. Which think about what I'm saying there. You know how desperate you must have to be to want to leave your homeland for America? America is hard, man. It's a hard nation. Bills, bills, bills. <laughs> like, so you leave your, your homeland to come to this new strange land with all these new strange customs and languages. And you got to learn and assimilate. That's just not easy. But you're doing it for the best life for your family. You wouldn't do it otherwise. And the nation they're fleeing to had a large part to do with the destabilization of their homeland. Unless you are a Native American, you have no true birthright to this land. And that is a whole another episode, Lord knows. So I'm going to need you, Marjorie Taylor Green, to meditate, do yoga, get your crystals right, whatever it takes to get your energy back on the right side of good weirdo energy. And then you can atone for some of this nonsense that you've been doing. But until then, you're on a bad weirdo energy list. Damn. Do better, Marjorie. Yeah, when you look into the Weird Away podcast, you know, my street out of Minnesota, you know me I say? Number one, number one, number one. This, me can't believe my eyes. Everything raw, explicit, up and running. Take what me say, me I deliver it to your bomb buckler. You understand me? That's a wrap. Just one veteran's rambling thoughts about what's going on right now. I really appreciate y'all listening. Do me a favor, rate, review, follow, share, share, share. This episode was mixed, produced, hosted, <laughs> mixed. The whole shebang by yours truly. Thank you again for having a kilo on the outro. And coming to you from a undisclosed location studio <laughs> and as usual by studio I mean a bedroom closet <laughs> I do not lack her ideas of what I'm going to do next for an episode I just gotta find the time y'all consistency is key right <laughs> please go get vaxxed up y'all it's not political it's not radical it just is the right thing to do right now and if you don't have a microscope, stop telling me about how you do your own research. <laughs> you ain't even got a lab coat. <laughs> Fuck out of here. Go get the shot, please. <laughs> Until next time, stay safe and tell your loved ones you love them. Weirdo way out. In loving memory to all our fallen soldiers, service members, and Afghan civilians gone too soon. 